Hello and welcome to worship from Schweitzer Church. We are so glad that you've joined us in worship today. We hope that no matter where you're at, what you're going through, that you are encountering the goodness and the beauty and the truthfulness of God and that together we can find out what God wants to say to our lives today. If you're with us for the first time, we want to say a special thanks for joining us. We've got a Starbucks gift card. If you fill out a connect form, we'd be happy to send that to you. If you've been worshiping with us for a while, you'll know that right now we're in a sermon series on the book of Philemon. Today we're going to hear about how Paul sends a slave by the name of Onesimus back to his slave master Philemon in Colossae. Now as we explore that story, we're going to encounter some of the difficult passages of Scripture and see how we interact with them and how they speak to us and how they shape us for the day that we're living uh, right now. If you'd like to dive deeper into the sermon, into the text, we encourage you to go to Schweitzer.Church. It's a new website name. You'll find all kinds of ways where you can dig deeper into the sermon, connect with others, continue to grow in your faith. Now, we're going to kick it over to Stephanie, and she's going to share with us some ways we can grow deeper here through Schweitzer. Hi, I'm Stephanie. Schweitzer is an active place with ministries and opportunities to connect happening all throughout the week. A great way to stay up to date and in the know on all of these things is by signing up for our e-newsletter. And signing up is easy. You just need to go to our homepage, which is now found at schweitzer.church. Click on the button that says sign up for our e-newsletter, enter your email, and those emails will start coming to your inbox and you can stay in the know on all the great things happening here. The holidays are coming and we are so excited this year to partner with Flourish to provide toys for kids at our neighborhood school, Pittman Elementary. Starting today, we invite you to grab a star on the windows at the back of the sanctuary. Each star has a gift idea for a kid. Bring back your new unwrapped toy and drop it in one of the bins by December 5th. We'll collect as many toys as possible in preparation for a special free Christmas toy store that we'll hold for Pittman parents on Tuesday, December 14th. We're also looking for people to host our shopping night for parents. There will be opportunities to help parents shop, wrap gifts, and much more. You can find out about all of this and sign up to volunteer at Schweitzer.Church. We are so excited that you're here this morning. Let's continue with worship. Thanks, Stephanie. Now, if you're worshiping with us live, we encourage you to say hello in the chat room. If you'd like someone to pray with you, there's going to be someone there. Uh, you can click those buttons. Now, let's enter into worship. So constant, so loving and so true. 
Friends, as we come to a time of prayer, and we're thinking about Philemon and the story of the church, we recognize that we don't always get things right. And so there's a need within the life of the church to offer up prayers of confession, prayers that are both personal and communal. And so today, I want to invite you to join me in saying this prayer of confession and looking to the Lord to be our helper in all things. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the way of peace. Come into the brokenness of our lives and our land with your healing love. Help us be willing to bow before you in true repentance and to bow to one another in real forgiveness. By the fire of your Holy Spirit, melt our hard hearts and consume the pride and prejudice which separates us. Fill us, Lord, with your perfect love which casts out fear and bind us together in that unity which you share with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I invite you to lift up your own prayers of confession, of thanksgiving, of supplication, of seeking the Lord in the things that you're carrying today. you to join us as we say together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. As we continue our worship, we invite you to, to participate in worshiping through the act of giving. You can go to sumc.co slash give, or you can give through the church app. Now, as you join us in worship today, you may have noticed a look to the Schweitzer brand. About a year ago, we entered into conversations with many of you about what is it that makes Schweitzer's heart pump and Schweitzer's heart beat. And you began to talk and share stories. And you began to speak, especially with Jen Brown and our communications team, about what you identified as Schweitzer Church. And it was the two realities, really, that popped out. One is that Schweitzer Church is a place that's Christ-centered. And the other is that we are community-focused. Today, we're unveiling a new look, a new brand to Schweitzer Church. And you're going to begin to see this brand pop up online and on campus. We hope you embrace it. We hope it reflects the reality of what you've come to know that Schweitzer is a church that is centered on Christ and we love the community that Christ has placed us in. So there's more that we're going to hear about that in the video. So let's take a look. What does it mean to be part of a church? Is it about finding friends, attending worship, learning the Bible, caring for our community? Yes, it's a mix of all of these. What does it mean to be part of Schweitzer Church? From the very beginning, Schweitzer has been a church committed to loving Christ and caring for our community. Over the years, we've added new programs and spaces for ministry, expanded outreach opportunities, and continued our mission of transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. To put it simply, 
Schweitzer is a church that is Christ-centered and community-focused. And we're so glad you're here. Well, welcome today. My name is Spencer. I'm so glad you're here with us. Uh, Today is part two of a series where we're having a a three-week conversation just about about us. We're having a conversation about our church and what does it mean to belong to our church and what is it that our life together is like and what are we aiming for um, as we are together as a church family. So we're spending some some time just talking about us. And as we're having this conversation about us, um, I'm so excited that we can uh, show you today this new logo for our church. One of the things I love the most about this new logo are those two phrases, Christ-centered and community-focused. What great phrases to describe who we are as a church. Now, our mission, Transforming Lives, Making Disciples of Jesus Christ, is still our mission. But these two two lines, Christ-centered, community-focused, are these great descriptors of what it is that our church is about. And what I love about this is that these two um, phrases came up from the congregation. As we started to work on this project, our communications director did these focus groups and listened to the congregation. And this is what we heard coming up from the congregation, from the from the, the church family, is that we are a church that is Christ-centered and community-focused. So these are two phrases you're going to hear a lot more um, about us. Now, this is part two of the series. As we're going through this um, conversation about us, we're being guided by this little book in the Bible called Philemon. It's in the back of the New Testament. It's really, really short. It's just one page. It's not even a chapter, just verses. And we're being guided by this, by this little book because this is just an incredible, incredible little book. And it's got this amazing and compelling vision for why the church matters, which is why I wanted to read this for these three weeks because just this incredible, incredible message for why the church matters. Now, this letter goes through some problems because every church has problems. But then on the other side of these problems, what we see in this letter is this just incredible picture of redemption. So each week, we're just taking a little bit more of the letter, reading a little bit more of it, and just building into this as we understand and see this incredibly compelling message of why the church matters. So today, we're going to be in Philemon. We're going to start at the very beginning again. We're going to read what we read last week and then build into some new uh, verses here because it's not very long. It's pretty short. Um, and, then, and then we'll just we'll unpack this next section here. So here's how it starts. Um, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother. So notice Paul's a prisoner. This is a prison epistle like Philippians and Ephesians, Colossians, goes on and says, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. So Philemon is a leader in this local church, and this local church um, for him is, is the church in Colossae, so Colossians. And the Colossian church, it meets in his home because this is before church buildings. And so the first Christians would meet in these homes. And Philemon is the host. He's the leader of this, of this first church. So verse 3, keep going here. It says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. And then listen to verse 6 here. It's so important. Paul says, I pray that your partnership, the Greek word there is koinonia, your fellowship, your partnership, your your commitment with us, um, your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing. And then listen to this last phrase here. We share for the sake of Christ. So this partnership between Paul and Philemon, it is bound together because they share Christ. This is where Christian fellowship comes from. It's because we share Christ together. Our koinonia, um, our fellowship, is that we are bound together 
in Christ. Now, the way that we would say this in our church is that we are Christ-centered, that Jesus Christ is the, is the center of our church, that everything revolves around Him, that He is the leader, we follow Him, that we preach Christ, we, we point people to Jesus, that we want to invite others to follow Him, that, that we're going to follow His teaching, the, the biblical teaching that, that He has given us, the apostolic witness, as we say sometimes, that we're going to follow Him because we are Christ-centered. Another thing that means for us to be Christ-centered because we're, we're bound in Him is that if we were ever to lose sight of Jesus, if we were to ever point people to something other than Jesus Christ, if we were ever to, to preach something other than the lordship and victory of Jesus, then you know what we should do is we should, we should shut the church down. We should close the buildings and sell them off because at that point we have lost sight of what we're really about because our fellowship together, our partnership, our membership, our, our, our koinonia, it is bound in Christ because this is what holds us together. Let's keep reading here, verse 7. It says, your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Now, this is what we read last week. Let's move to what we're going to read this week, verse 8. And uh, here's what Paul says next. It says, therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. And you can hear now the tone is starting to change a little bit and we're starting to introduce maybe some problems that might exist we have to, we have to address here. Paul keeps going, he says, he says, it is none other than Paul, an old man, which by the way, people think he's in his late 40s when he writes this, real old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Remember, he's in, cha- he's in prison right now. I'm writing this from prison. And then he says, formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. Now there's a lot happening here we need to unpack. There's a lot of backstory here that's really helpful to understand as we move through this. And and as we think about Philemon and we think about what's going on here, we got to kind of piece these things together. So let's unpack this. First of all, we have Philemon, who is this leader in the early Colossian church. The church meets in his home, so he's wealthy. Uh, Philemon is somebody who has a home that's big enough to host the church. Uh, Philemon, as a wealthy a citizen in the Roman Empire, he also owns slaves, as most wealthy citizens in the Roman Empire would have done. And, and, and what's happened is this slave, one of his slaves, Onesimus, has, has run away and um, has somehow come in contact with Paul. And there's all kinds of speculation about how that happened. Some people think that when he ran away, maybe he was arrested and uh, because Paul is in prison, maybe he happened to like get jailed with Paul and they found themselves in the same jail cell. Maybe that's how they met, which I don't know, it's pretty coincidental. Maybe that's what took place, maybe not. Other people think that maybe Philemon specifically ran away to find Paul, which probably seems a bit more likely because Philemon, I mean, because Onesimus understands that Philemon and Paul have this relationship. And so, he, so Onesimus runs to find uh, Paul in order to help him in, 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 in whatever's happening between him and Philemon. Maybe that's what takes place. And people speculate about what the problem was that led Onesimus to run away. Was it, was it something with money? Some people think that because of this reference to being useless, which by the way is a pun because Onesimus, the word means useful. So maybe he stole money. That's one, one speculation. Other people think that maybe uh, Philemon was supposed to have set 
um, Onesimus free because in that culture, um, in the first century, slaves were usually set free by their 30th birthday and they would become Roman citizens. And so maybe Philemon didn't do that. And so Onesimus runs away and he's looking for Paul to find help. I don't know. It's interesting to think about all these different kind of scenarios that take place, but that's the backstory is that there's this rift between Philemon and Onesimus and he's ran away and he's found himself to Paul and Paul's writing on behalf of Onesimus back to Philemon, which raises all kinds of questions, doesn't it? I mean, first of all, you have Philemon, this uh, leader in the local church who also is a slaveholder and apparently everyone's just okay with that. <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's a really big question of how in the world was everyone just okay with that? And, and then you even have the, the, like the bigger question about just what do you do with the Bible? Because some, as you read the Bible, um, there's never this outright condemnation of slavery in the Bible, which is like this bigger question altogether. So like, so like, what do you do with that? And you've got to recognize that, you know, that, that, that fact that the Bible never outright condemned slavery was something that in our history as Americans was this shameful thing that people used to justify slavery, to hurt other people who are made in the image of God. Like there's this, this backstory there with our own history. And so as like modern people with modern sensibilities, you gotta have to kind of wonder like, what do you do with how the Bible deals with things like slavery or, or other things in the Bible that also are difficult in our modern sensibilities, like the violence in the Old Testament or, or maybe some of the miraculous things or things that, that, uh, that come against us. We're just like, I don't know what to do with that. So let me give you some options of how do, you, how do you read some of these places in the Bible that are just kind of difficult as modern people? Well, one option is this. You just dismiss it. You just set it aside and you let it go and you think to yourself, well, that's not really what God's word says. It's not, it's not really what we should listen to. And, and you, just kind of, you just kind of dismiss it, which is what a lot of people do. Have you ever seen Thomas Jefferson's Bible? Thomas Jefferson's Bible, he, he cut out all of the parts of the Bible that had to do miraculous things because that kind of offended his modern sensibilities. He didn't know how to deal with that. So what he did was he just actually cut it out of the Bible, which honestly is what a lot of people end up doing with things that make them uncomfortable in the Bible. They don't like take an exacto knife and cut things out, but, but they functionally do this where they just start to think to themselves, well, that's not really what God wants. It's not really what the Bible teaches. That's just, you know, they didn't know better back then. And so they're just kind of like, yeah, let's, ah, let's get rid of that. We just don't have to listen to that part of the Bible anymore. And that's what some people do. But really what we need to do when we come across these passages like Philemon or other places in the Bible that deal with these more difficult things is we need to take a deeper look because there's, there's, a, there's a deeper message here that we need to listen to. As you think about this kind of deeper thing with slavery, you need to start to look in a couple ways. And one of those deeper ways to look is in the, in the larger context of what was happening when these were written. So as we think about slavery in the, like in the Roman Empire in the first century, we can start to understand this a little bit better and some of our confusion maybe cleared up a little bit. And, and as you do this, as you look at the, the historical context, one of the things that happens is you, you quickly see that our history as Americans with slavery is very different than what happened in the Roman Empire. It's not an apples to apples kind of thing. And so some of our revulsion to slavery is just because of the shame of our own history. But in the Roman Empire, it was a, it was a different kind of slavery that was practiced. There's different things to this that don't make it quite an apple to apple comparison. So for instance, um, in the Roman Empire, um, slavery was never about race. It was not a racial thing at all. This is, is not something that just whole groups of people were consigned to. That's not really how that pract was practiced. Another thing that was different from uh, American system versus the Roman system was that in the Roman system, most people became slaves 
uh, because they sold themselves into slavery. Now, the first time I heard that, I was like, that can't be true. And I looked it up in several different sources to confirm that, that in the Roman Empire, most people would sell themselves in slavery for several reasons. One, it could be that they wanted to rise socially, so they would sell themselves to somebody who was a prominent citizen, or they wanted to learn a skill or a trade, and this was a way that they could do this, or they needed to pay off debt, and so they would sell themselves into slavery in that way. And in the Roman system, slaves could, could own property. In fact, there's evidence of Roman slaves owning Roman slaves. I mean, it's kind of a crazy kind of situation, but that, that kind of thing happened. And then, and then another way that's very different is that in the Roman system, most slaves were freed by their 30th birthday, and when they were freed, they became citizens of the Roman Empire, which is a very coveted thing to have. And so some people would choose this, and some people have argued that the reason why Paul never condemns slavery in the New Testament is because um, so many people would have chosen this for themselves. I don't know if that's true or not, but that makes sense to me. So one of the things you want to do is you think about these harder passages. You want, to, you want to dig deeper at the context, the culture, the history of it. Another thing you want to do is you always want to look at the big picture of the Bible. What does like the bigger perspective, the broader perspective of the Bible teach us? And as you think about the broader, bigger perspective of the Bible, I can't help but think of a couple places like, for instance, Colossians chapter 3, and what it says about slavery. So in Colossians chapter 3, we read this. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human, uh, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be paid for the wrongs, and there is no favoritism. And then the next verse here says, Masters, Provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Now, what's fascinating about Colossians 3 is that there are a lot of people who believe that what Paul writes here is directed towards Philemon and Onesimus because they are part of this church. Really, really interesting. But as you break down this this little teaching here about slaves and masters in Colossians 3, and if you looked at the bigger perspective of what's held in in, uh, Colossians 3, you'd see that this is a part of a larger conversation about three different kinds of relationships. It starts off with um, wives and husbands, and then it goes to children and parents, and then it goes to slaves and masters. And in each one of these uh, relationships, there is a, a part of the relationship that has in Roman law and Roman culture, all the power, that would be husbands, parents, and masters. And then there would be a relationship there, a person in, in that relationship who has no power in Roman culture. And that would be um, wives, children, and slaves. And the overall message of, of Colossians chapter three is that those with the power need to use their power, not for themselves, which is what everyone else would have done, but in a way that honors those without power. That is a counter-cultural message. And it is just as counter-cultural today as it was then, that those with power should use their power in a way that benefits those without. Or if I think broadly about the Bible, another passage I have to think about is this teaching in Galatians chapter three when it comes to slavery. So in Galatians 3, again, this is Paul, he writes this. He says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This is an amazing teaching from Galatians 3. 
this, this idea that in Christ, these lines and divisions that we create in our culture, that they go away. Because whatever is true out there for the lines and divisions, they're not true in here. Because in here, we are bound together in Christ. And so all of the, all of the ways that we might want to divide from one another, we, we find that in Christ, those divisions do not hold. And think about just what that means. Think about what that means for us, because after all, this sermon series is about us. It's not about first century slavery practices. It's about us. And so think about what this kind of teaching from Galatians or Colossians, how that applies to us. It's, it's, it's amazing to think about. I mean, think about how in our culture, for instance, there is this tremendous, tremendous effort to divide people. Lines are drawn, divisions are made, and we just want to push people apart from one another. And if you doubt this, go spend like five minutes on Twitter and tell me what you see. You will see division. You will see lines. You will see people pushed away from one another. This is what happens. And there's all kinds of ways this happens in our culture. All kinds of ways. It happens um, in, in racial divisions with black and white. It happens in economic divisions with rich or poor. It happens in political divisions with Republican or Democrat, with vaccinated or unvaccinated. There's all kinds of ways that we want to push people apart and divide people. And this, this impulse for division is not a new thing. It's been around for as long as humans have been around. We have wanted to divide people. It goes back to the garden. One of the consequences of sin is that we separate from one another. This is as old as time. It's, a, it's in all cultures, at all places that we would want to create these divisions. And this teaching from the New Testament is like, no, 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 no. Now there's this new community. And in this new community, those with power, they share it with those who don't. In this new community, there are not these lines and divisions that our culture divides us by. No, 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 there is unity because what is most true about you is that you belong to Christ and I belong to Christ. And so whatever old category the world might put on you, no, 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 that's not true anymore of you. What is most true is that you and I are bound together because we belong to Christ, which is what we see in Philemon. So let's go back to Philemon and see how this gets played out, this, this new kind of community that's formed where, where we're bound together more than what culture is going to push us apart. So let's pick up right where we left off, verse 12. Paul says, I am sending him, that is Onesimus, who is my very heart, back to you which is so troubling. Like, Paul, don't send the slave back to the master who could abuse him. What, what are you doing? Maybe there's more here when we die, but that seems so cruel. So let's keep reading here. Verse 13, he says, I would have liked to keep him with, with me so he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. Listen to this. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dear to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Now think about this for just a moment. You have these two men, uh, one with all of the power, one with no power. It is an unjust system. And Paul is preaching here, he is teaching here that what is ultimately most important between these two people is that there is forgiveness and reconciliation, that there would be unity. 
That's what he's offering here, that there would be unity. And think about how he goes about doing this. Paul could very easily have said to to Philemon, hey, you need to set Philemon free. I'm ordering you to do this. In fact, he talked about earlier how he could have done that. In verse eight, he talked about how he could have ordered Philemon to do this. But what would have happened if if Paul had come on with this heavy-handed kind of comment, I'm ordering you to do this. Well, Philemon, maybe he would have listened to his spiritual authority and, and he would have set Onesimus free, but probably he would have been so angry by this that he would have been like, I don't ever want to see Onesimus again. Get him out of my side. And at that point, Paul would be like, oh, we lost. This is a defeat because the forgiveness and the reconciliation that was supposed to happen, it doesn't happen. Like for Paul, the most important thing is that these two men, that society would divide, would come together and be unified. This is, this is an astonishing, explosive kind of teaching that, that this forgiveness and reconciliation for the sake of unity would be the most important thing that Paul is leading us towards. And as you think about the church, as we're talking about us, oh my goodness, if you're going to live in the church, if you're going to be part of the church, if you're part of a church family and and rub shoulders with people and and be in groups and be known and and serve and be part of this mission together, do you know what? You're going to have a lot of opportunities to practice forgiveness and reconciliation for the sake of unity. Because if you're going to be part of a church, and I don't just mean like sitting in the back row, never singing and just kind of being anonymous, but if you're actually going to be part of the community and be known and, and have relationships, you're going to have lots of opportunities to practice forgiveness and reconciliation because there's going to be lots of times where you find yourself offended or angry or hurt, sometimes at the church, sometimes at another person, sometimes at me. Like this is just part of what church life is like. There are lots of opportunities for forgiveness and reconciliation for the sake of unity. Uh, not too long ago, our church staff, we did this prayer walk around campus, which is something we do on a pretty regular basis. We'll go from different rooms in the building and, and uh, we'll just pray as a staff for the different ministries that take place in these, in these rooms. And, and one of the times, not too long ago, we were doing this prayer walk through the church and, and uh, Jim Mason, who has this long pastoral history with us, he started to tell us about different stories of, of different times that there had been, I think the word he used, um, passionate discussions in this room. And then you go to a different room and you tell about a different time there were these passionate discussions or, or about this corner over here or this hallway, there's these passionate discussions. And it was like, he just was, you know, being very generous in how he explained it. But there were these opportunities in his history here where he have seen heated moments and places where people had to practice forgiveness and reconciliation for the sake of the church. And he was like, yeah, it's here, it was here, it was here, it was here, because this is what church life is like. Now, as I, as I say this, that this, there's this call here through Philemon for forgiveness and reconciliation for the sake of unity. We need to be really clear about the kind of unity we're talking about. Because this unity that Paul's calling these two men to is unity in Christ. It's unity in Christ. It's not unity for the sake of unity. It's unity that is in Christ. And, and I have so many people, I hear so many people who come to our church from different churches who will talk about maybe well, the reason they left their church was because that church lost sight of Christ. Maybe it was through adopting and affirming sin, or maybe it was through losing the Bible and losing sight of what Jesus called them to, losing sight of the mission and just becoming inwardly focused and about themselves. There's like a whole lot of reasons why, where, where people do that. And when that happens, and I want to say this, if you've come to Schweitzer, maybe from a different church, like it, there are times where it's, it's good to break that fellowship because at that point, unity is not more important. Health is more important. What we want is unity that is bound in Christ. Unity that is Christ-centered. 
And this is not the kind of unity that just sweeps problems under the rug. It's not the kind of unity that is afraid to make hard decisions. It's not the kind of unity that just wants to keep the peace at whatever cost is possible. No, that's not what Christian unity is. Christian unity is willing to go forward. It's willing to make hard decisions. It's willing to lead for the sake of Jesus Christ. But here's the thing about unity, is that unity, it's always a choice. Like it doesn't just happen. And if, and if our church is gonna have unity together, again, unity is something that everyone has to choose, that if we're gonna be bound in Christ, we have to be people who choose unity. And, and listen, this is not like a, a 30,000 foot view kind of choice. This is a choice that you and I make in practical ways all the time. Unity is a practical choice that we live with. Unity is, is the choice that instead of being angry and harboring bitterness in my heart, I'm going to choose to forgive. Unity is the, is the choice that instead of gossiping and talking about someone else behind their back, about the problems that are there, unity is the choice of being willing to talk to someone into their face, like the Bible teaches. Unity is the choice of submission and living within God's boundaries for our relationship together. Unity is the choice of, of praying for the church um, and, and living within this peace that God gives us. Unity is the choice of living in our, in our membership vows, of praying for the church, of being present with one another, of, of offering our, our gifts, our financial resources to the church, of serving one another with the talents God has given us, of being a witness of Christ to one another. That's our membership vow. Unity is this practical choice of how, of how we build it. So as I, as I think about these two men, Philemon and Onesimus, who have this conflict together, and Paul is working towards forgiveness and reconciliation for the sake of unity, I, I can't help but do a little introspection for myself. And, and I can't help but, but pause and wonder, am I the kind of person who builds unity for the sake of Christ, for the cause of Christ, or am I somebody who has made things about me and as someone who's destroying unity? Am I somebody who's willing to do the hard work of forgiveness and reconciliation of praying for others? Am I someone who's willing to do the hard work of talking to people, not just about them? Because this is the work of unity that, that God calls us to. It's, it's the image that we have of the kind of unity that we are, we are bound in Christ that we will live towards. And so I just wonder even for you, are you making the choice of unity, the Christian unity, the Christ-centered unity that God would call us to. Let's pray together. And so, Father, today we do pray for our church, and we thank you that you have called us together as a church family with this mission of transforming lives and making disciples of Jesus Christ, this mission of serving you in our community. And we want to pray for unity in our church. We want to pray that we would be people of unity, that where there is hurt or unforgiveness, God, may we be those who offer forgiveness and reconciliation. Would we be the kinds of people who use our words to build others up and not tear down? Would we be the kinds of people who, who seek to, to bridge, build bridges with those in our congregation and, and our church family and, and be those who work for the unity of the body? God, we want to serve you and love you and know you. And so, God, we thank you for our church family. We thank you for one another. We thank you for the work that you're doing in us. And we want to pray today with anyone else who, who might be with us and who doesn't know the hope of Christ. May today be a day where they turn their lives over to you with a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, would you forgive me my sin? Would you lead my life? And as we pray this, we learn this, we live in you. We know that we are bound together for the sake of Christ. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hey friends, thanks for worshiping with us today. Thanks to all the people who helped make this worship um, 
service available possible. Thanks to Stephanie and Alec and Taylor and Jen and the, and the crew behind the scenes. Thanks to Spencer for taking us into that place of Philemon, 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 whatever you want to say, uh, and sharing that, that word with us. If this has helped you, if it's been a blessing to you, we encourage you to take a moment, share it with a friend who also needs this kind of encouragement. And we cannot wait to see you next week as we jump in to, to the third and final installment of, I can't even, Philemon, number three. No, I can't do that. I think I'm gonna use that. <laughs>